For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Rainstop Play, where we're going to be delving deep into England's many failures uh, in a highly disappointing series for home fans against New Zealand. Uh, today we've got a smaller, a smaller Rainstop Play squad because we're actually releasing two podcasts this week. We're going to have a special standalone. Um, world test championship final preview which will come out later this week so um dan is off duty he'll be focusing on that so i'll be hosting this week um joined by zach and tim two of the uh, two of the favorites of the pod zach how are you doing i hear that you've been playing a bit of cricket with some minor success can we say uh, I, I have indeed. I mean, my my team lost as as they do every week. So let's get that out of the way. But I, I opened the bowling and I took my first wicket of the season. I got a, a probably about 15 year old LBW, which for a left arm over bowler is, is quite difficult. I, I don't think it was out really, but that doesn't matter. The scorebook says five overs, one maiden, one 15. So I will take that. <laughs> excellent excellent so we're seeing we're seeing some improvement there zach and i'm looking forward to your to your fifers coming in as the, as the season gets into full swing uh tim how are you doing great to have you on the pod again yeah really good thank you um sports overload can't like turn without something international football tournament t20 blast starting england test match and usually I'm really good at following other test matches, but the like even the West Indies South Africa one just kind of passed me by. It's just like there were too many things, too many sporting things going on. Yeah, we have a lot, especially when you're talking about three Euros matches uh, in a day, and we're trying to we've got our eye on the Spain game, which is which is happening later this evening. So we're going to try and squeeze the pod in before then. Um, I'm glad you mentioned the T20 blast because that has started. I think it's fair to say that as a podcast, we are big fans of the Vitality Blast, especially in contrast to the 100, which we will be discussing later this summer. Uh, a lot. So it started. 
Um, a lot of teams have played three matches. Um, a couple of others have played two. It's about a mix. Um, we've got Kent starting off very well. Kent and Surrey um, and Sussex, actually, all with pretty perfect records um, in the South group. And then Worcestershire, Durham, uh, really standing out, I guess, at the top. Uh, so pretty competitive to start with, um, although there are a few teams, unfortunately. Leicestershire, um, Nottinghamshire, Somerset and Middlesex, who have yet to register a win. Uh, Leicester have actually played three games without success, so a very poor start to the season for them. Uh, lots of exciting games. I mean, personally, I've only seen the two Somerset ones on their pretty decent YouTube live stream, which we're all pretty thankful for as a cricket community. Uh, Tim, let's come to you. What stories have jumped out? What teams have impressed you from what you've seen so far in this early stage of the tournament? Yeah, well, it's, it's a general thing. Um, it, it's been slightly bizarre with all the problems England have had at Edgbaston to watch Moeen Ali, Chris Wokes, Josh Butler, Sam Cohen all playing T20 cricket this week. Um, and all very successfully, actually. I saw Moeen Ali play for Worcestershire. He's scoring runs, batted great, played a couple of, played a couple of great innings. The one I saw, he got his 50. He got a couple of wickets, bowled very economically. And looking at his figures for other matches, it's been the same thing. So he, he's always really committed to Worcestershire. Um, Surrey are kind of steamrolling everybody. I saw them play um, Middlesex and play Somerset. And they played uh, Middlesex on a Friday night. Um, and then came, sorry, it was on Thursday night, and then had to come down to Somerset on Friday, got stuck in traffic with people coming down to the West Country. <laughs> took them six, took them six hours, apparently, to get to Taunton. Um, and then they just absolutely pulverised Somerset in every single department. I think it probably said more about Somerset than Surrey by the end of it, to be, to be honest. Um, Josh Butler, as I said, mentioned him. He's been scoring runs for Lancashire, got at least 150, scored um, very quickly again. You know, basically, uh, what you'd expect from an informed, well-tuned Josh Butler. And you just you think he should be playing in the Test match, um, but obviously not. On a, moving away from England players past, present, maybe one of the future, though, Archie Lennon for Sussex, 16 years old, has played two T20 matches in a couple of days. For the first one, because it was a weekday, he had to leave school early. In fact, he turned up in his school blazer. And it's just that's such a ridiculous cliche, but he did. Um, <laughs> and for the second one, luckily, he was at home um, and it was an evening match. So he was all right. He was, didn't have to wear his school stuff. And But he did what he did do is he bowled ridiculously well. He bowled three overs and he got um, three wickets for double, just, just into double digits, 14, 14 odd runs. And he bowled just really well. Um, very impressive. And even been interviewed afterwards. It's just hilarious with Rocky trying to interview someone who's 16. But he was very, he, was, he spoke very well. His dad played for Sussex. Um, so there is a kind of family link, a bit of heritage there. So he's got that kind of in the background for him. But yeah, really impressive. Um, and, you know, as a spinner, you couldn't see any reason why, you know, he, he, he couldn't go on further. Obviously, so young, you know, it's hard to judge the future. But it's, you know, it looks like a huge promise. And even now, as you're looking, it's starting to look at the um, tables, although it's very early days because it's three, two or three matches out of 14. But in the South Group, Kent, Surrey, Sussex and Glamorgan. And I wouldn't be surprised, to be honest, what I've seen so far. Those are the four or thereabouts. And in the North Group, Worcestershire, Durham, Birmingham Bears and Lancashire is probably what, you know, maybe not Durham, but with the other three, you'd almost have expected that before the tournament started 
Um, and the only thing, only thing to mention is that Nottingham and Worcestershire had a tied match, which um, was a fairly small target, and about 150. And somehow Nottingham contrived to not get there. I only really saw the scorecard from that and a couple of sort of comments that people had watched, but it, it just and commentators talking about it the next day. But yeah, it was actually a time. You don't get many of those in T20. Um, so yeah, I think it really, I think a really exciting start for the T20. Excellent crowds insofar as they were allowed to be in. And a slightly disappointing thing um, of today's announcement um, just now from Boris Johnson is with regards to the um, things staying in place. About that, I'm meant to be going to the Roses game on the 2nd of July and now might not be able to because it'll be uh, reduced capacity. Yeah, and I was thinking because actually that is basically kind of wiped out the blast because, they again, Somerset across the show is a complete sellout and so on, and there are other matches that were all around the country. Um, and everyone was having a great... You know, I thought that I've seen about four matches in the blast and... It's all been, you know, good quality cricket, apart from Somerset. Um, it's been good quality cricket. And, you know, the crowds have you know, really enjoyed it. And been really, you know, I just think it's been absolutely great. And it's a bit of a shame that they obviously now it looks like the hole in the blast will be to reduce attendances. Do you think there could be a deep state conspiracy to push crowds towards the hundred? Is that what we're implying here, that the lockdown will end <laughs> the, se- the second the hundred starts. Um, just just before we move on, Zach. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you actually just quickly about Somerset as well. But what else do you want to add? Sorry, I just wanted to say like this is far earlier than Dan usually goes into the deep mental conspiracies in the podcast. <laughs> like way earlier. I'm here for it though, Glenn. And yes, I do believe there is a wider conspiracy. You know, I've thought for a while there's been a conspiracy against the blast, and you know this this confirms it. You're right, Glenn. <laughs> and Zach, yeah, what do you think? So, the 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 range stop play um, group chat is is filled with me and Zach usually lamenting Somerset's poor cricket, especially in this format. Actually, Zach, what I know you haven't seen much of the games, and um, Tim and I were, were lucky enough to kind of sit down and catch most of them. Where do you see this season for Somerset? Do you see any room for improvement, or is, in my opinion, the bowling seems to be the real sticking point for us? What do you think? I just hate watching Somerset play T20 cricket now. <laughs> it's so painful. The bowling is just so bad. Every time, I mean, and like in the first game, they there was something like four. Hill just got out after hitting a you know a silly amount of the first over and was you know something like 39 off of 18 balls opening the batting. It's the first time he's opened the batting for Somerset in I think probably 10 years in any format or something. I, I couldn't even, couldn't tell you the last time he did that. And, you know, it was a fantastic start and Somerset should have got 200 at least in that game. And they kind of, you know, lost three quick wickets and, you know, kind of stumbled to 185 and it wasn't enough. And then again, they got 187 and it was nowhere near enough somehow, which, you know, Taunton's a small ground. And in T20, it has big scores. But for Surrey to chase down 187 with four overs to go, it really does tell you that the bowling is the problem. And I really I'm disappointed in Marshant Delanger because when he was brought in, it was kind of one of those things. At first, everyone was a bit like, hmm, last year we brought in Vernon Philander as our overseas pace bowler, who obviously never ended up playing for Somerset. And now we're getting Marshant Delanger. I, I did feel like it was a bit of a step down. And yeah, I feel like that was kind of, 
widely accepted. But there was the thought that for T20 cricket, he's quite a good death bowler, was what I was sold it as, but it doesn't seem to have happened yet. No, he seems to be, you know, there's issues with Jamie Overton, who's who's obviously moved on now. And I think they've both got pace. They're both big guys. I love the the kind of giggle of excitement the Somerset commentators get when he comes to the crease to bat. Every single time he's out there, they just lose their minds, which is always good fun. Um, but yeah, he he seems just to be struggling. I think he bowled one over for way over 20 in, in the Surrey game with a stack of no balls. And that was early on in the innings. That might have been second, third over. And that just immediately swung the game away. And you're quite right to point out that they had four overs left, Zach. If they were batting first, that's a 220-plus um, total. And just something on Jamie Overton against Middlesex. So we used seven, I think it was six or seven bowlers. Definitely one of the two. But Jamie Overton didn't bowl an over, which is somebody's moved to Surrey to try and play for England. is quite incredible, really. So they played him as a kind of pinch hitter, batting at six, but didn't bowl a ball against Middlesex. Yep. And then the over he did throw down, I think it was against uh, uh, Somerset, was was a disaster. Um, anyway, moving on, we've got a stack of news to get through. Exciting news for England's women's team. Um, they're playing their, they're playing a test match starting on Wednesday at Bristol versus India, which, would you believe it, is their first test match against each other in seven years, which really speaks, I think we can all agree, to the issues with women's cricket and how how test matches just do not seem to be regular on the calendar. Um, I think there's only four um, nations I mean, women's cricket that have actually played test matches, which, again, just shows the lack of funding, uh, arguably the lack of care for this. Um, Zach, I'll come to you for this. Anything else you just want to add about women's cricket, especially in the context of this test match? Yeah, I want to point our listeners to, you know, I don't really like promoting the Telegraph, but Izzy Westby's <laughs> done another, another brilliant article on Indian women's team and their kind of the contrast in their you know the, the time they've had since COVID hit and per, well specifically since they had that World Cup final that was played in front of 80,000 people on International Women's Day last year you know they lost that game against Australia but you know Australia you know they're unbelievable women's team unbelievable cricketing nation so but they have, and it, since then they've had a four match wasn't even called an IPL. They wouldn't even call it the IPL because it just wasn't an IPL. They had a four game series against uh, South Africa in which they were trounced, and then the administrators then blamed uh, COVID, saying that oh, you know, what can we do? Everyone's been hit by this virus, which is obviously true. But their men's team man- have managed to fit in a you know, a 56 game IPL. There was a four test series against England, a, a test series against, against Australia. You know, it, it you know, it, it doesn't look good, does it? And yeah, I, I think it will be a really interesting test. I'd be very surprised for India to, to get anything out of it, considering, you know, it's good. A lot, there's lots of talk now about their issues and how it's not being run well at all. And that's good. But you know, I, I don't expect them to get anything because the you know the England players have been playing, doing very well in the Rachel Hayho Flint Trophy. So, I you know, and they're in good form. So, I expect a, a heavy win for England. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, thank you, Zach. And yeah, so the article I was referring to was by Amy Lofthouse um, for BBC Sport, which is brilliant. And I just want to clarify that it's only um, over the last couple of years, I think, um, since 2007. So since, since 2007, only four countries have played test cricket, which is ridiculous unto itself. Um, West Indies women have not played one since 2004. 
while Sri Lanka's only test came against Pakistan in 1998. I mean, these are just ridiculous figures. Um, and to be honest, it's an excellent article. It says it better than I ever could. So, yeah, if you're interested in reading a little bit more, I think Zach and I both got a couple of articles we can link um, on our Twitter page. Um, very interesting stuff. And yeah, I mean, these these differences and these this uneven development of the game, um, women's versus men's, seriously needs to be addressed. And there's a lot of issues, especially with the Indian women's team that you quite rightly pointed out there, Zach. Thank you. Um, yeah, we're, we're still a tiny bit of news to get through um, before we get really uh, stuck into the test match, which we're all really looking forward to doing. Um, so England did release their um, squad for the T20 um, International Series against Sri Lanka, which is coming up uh, soon. So that's going to be Cardiff um, uh, on Saturday, June the 19th. Uh, they'll be heading over there then, and the series will be starting on June the 23rd. Um, so just, we won't get into this too much, just a couple of quick headlines. Uh, Chris Wokes, we are the Chris Wokes podcast. We're delighted that he um, has been called up to the squad. He hasn't played a game in the format since November 2015. So uh, interesting inclusion. I mean, I think he, he could well be cut out for it. We, obviously, we've, we've spoken at length about his all-rounder qualities. Uh, interesting pick there. Um, also, uh, David Wiley and Liam Dawson um, have been recalled, and I think it's pretty much fair to say um, that the England um, selectors management team have picked experience over youth here. Not many surprising picks, and to be honest, it really is basically a first-string side. You've obviously got Morgan as captain, you've got the likes of Ali, Bairstow, Butler. Um, as we kind of touched on just a few a few minutes ago early in the pod, you know, many of these names and faces you probably would have liked to have seen um, in the New Zealand Test Series. So again, you're seeing a real you're seeing a real clash basically between the one day sides and the Test sides in terms of selection. Uh, who who perhaps is to blame there? We can get onto a little bit later. So yeah, keep an eye on that. And I think we've been we've been enjoying the blast as we've mentioned. So I think we're all quite looking forward to seeing a bit of international T20 cricket. Always good value. Um, finally, last bit of news. Uh, West Indies uh, collapsed, unfortunately, against South Africa in a recent test match. Uh, South Africa won by a staggering innings and 63 runs, which is, you know, immensely one-sided. West Indies 97 all out. Um, uh, South Africa replied with 322 all out. And then West Indies um, were 162 all out in reply. So South Africa didn't even need to bat again. Uh Tim, we mentioned just before we came on the pod, there were some impressive um, bowling performances um, for South Africa. Anyone you want to you want to mention just before we get stuck into England? Yeah, um, not Andrew Notcho um, bowled fantastically well. Got four wickets at the top of the uh, West Indies first innings, and then took a blow. In, at which point, Ngidi came on and cleaned up the bottom five wickets and got a fiver. And in the second innings, Rabada got a fiver and Notcho didn't. But actually, it was probably the win really was down to Notcho and the the spell of bowling that he put through the West Indies in their start of their first innings, and they just never really recovered from then. Um, and it gave South Africa a bit of confidence with their own batting, I guess, because it's been fairly brittle, as we've seen in the series against Pakistan. Um, they got some talented players, but often, for example, Jakok, who can often um, you know, get low score, was just playing what seems like ridiculous shots. But when it comes off, it comes off, and it came off with this 140 plus off a very... You know, small number of, of balls and just it speeded if, if the game that test match needed speeding up it speeded it up even more 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's just disappointing, um, I think, to see the West Indies test team in the state it is, which is just, you know, zero consistency. It feels like, and I, you know, I, I may be wrong here, but it feels like every time I do check the result or want to have a look at how they're doing, especially in the test format, rarely is it good news as someone who's very fond um, of, of the West Indies. So, yeah, disappointing, disappointing for them. And, you know, South Africa really just showing their international credentials, especially that pace attack. Arguably, those three on form, there's three, four on form among the best in the world um, on their day. Uh, so, I mean, let's just get stuck into why we're all here. Uh, it was a disaster um, for England, unfortunately. It just about lasted four days. That might be generous um, before England sunk to a eight wicket defeat. So New Zealand um, winning both the match and the series 1-0 after the um, drawn test uh, last week over at Lord's. Uh, this one was at Edgebaston, and I think part of the decision-making process which led to England defending that first game and refusing to go for the for the win, which we which we discussed on the last podcast, worth a listen if you haven't heard it, was that even a draw at Lords wouldn't be a bad result because we're going to come turn over New Zealand at Edgebaston. In fact, the New Zealand, you could argue New Zealand A, with a lot of their players either rested or injured, did quite the opposite, and I would, I would argue humiliated um, England at home, considering the game could well have been over in three days um, had they poten- potentially taken some extra time on that third day. Um, let's just get to the scorecard, just in case listeners weren't throwing it too closely, and I wouldn't blame you if you weren't. Uh, England were 303 all out in the first innings, which, to be honest, wasn't the worst ever um the middle order was once again incredibly brittle so burns and sibley set the stage for a decent total burns with an excellent 81 he was england's highest rung scorer across the two matches a really standout performance from him over the two i would argue sibley with a very steady 35 so they set the platform for what should have been a very decent um, england total then crawley and root fell cheaply um, Pope once again failed to really trouble the scoreboard with 19. It was up for Dan Lawrence to really try and carry carry some of this middle order with a really tidy 81 not out, supported very well by Wood, uh, the tall pace man picking up a vital 41 runs. Over to New Zealand, who showed us exactly how to bat in our own conditions with a with a really impressive 388 all out. Conway once again in the runs with 80. Uh, Will Young. Uh, very decent 82 and Taylor basically what you saw with them is the middle order um, delivering with a stack of runs Taylor getting 80 as well and then it really it was the game was still in the air you know with an 80 80 run difference coming to the second innings and then it all went wrong for England 122 all out which was just an abysmal um, attempt at batting I think anyone watching it would agree with that Uh, highest score of 29 from Mark Woods which is just embarrassing there really is no way to sugarcoat that uh barely anyone who is who is in the team to bat managing to put on more than 11 15 runs um and that left new zealand uh just about roughly 40 runs to knock off on the start of the uh of the fourth day which they did pretty comfortably broadenstone did pick up a uh wicket but by then the game was pretty much done i think my highlight of this match was 
England being bowled out on the fourth day before play had technically started. Uh, they were bowled out by 10.59. Uh, they started about 30 seconds earlier and uh, New Zealand got a wicket with the first ball of the day, which really encapsulated the mess of this game. Um, Zach, I guess I'll come to you first. We'll focus on England before, you know, celebrating what was an outstanding New Zealand performance. Zach, where do we start? I think the batting is what everybody's been complaining about quite rightly. I mean, what were your takeaways from this? It doesn't really bode well for India nor the Ashes, does it really? No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't bode too well. I would say, like you say, the batting's the problem. The bowlers, you know, did a good job. It was a, it was a good pitch for batting on. Yeah. We fought back quite well in that New Zealand first innings to, to get them from 290 for four to 388. 388 was it all out? So, you know, the bowlers fought back well. The batsmen, you know, didn't do so well. First of all, I'm sorry, Rory Burns. I was slating him in our preview for this series, and I know you mentioned it on last week's podcast as well. <laughs> you know, he, he looked quite good. And I really like that he's brought in his fantastic um, county championship form into the international sphere. And, yeah, he looks he looked really good. Some of those really nice off drives when they when they were kind of pitching it full and outside off were just beautiful and um the thing i'm most disappointed at is we finally had a partnership an opening partnership of some notes i feel like it's i couldn't tell you the last time we had an opening partnership that big but it feels like it's been about 10 years i know it hasn't been but it feels like it's been a long time so it was really nice and i was getting messages from some friends saying what do you mean we haven't lost a wicket and i was I was uh, I wasn't watching the first session and I just get notifications for wickets on my phone for BBC Sport and I wasn't getting any notifications. I was a bit like I'm, I, I kind of checked it at lunch and I was like, oh, it's fine. My phone must have not been working. I'm sure we're at least three or four down. We must be. And the fact that we, you know, got ourselves into that position at lunch was was brilliant, but you know we couldn't capitalise on it. Zach Crawley. I know I hope we can we can maybe slate him a little bit because Dan's not here. And I know Dan loves him a lot and he'll he'll love to hear us slate him a little bit. But, you know, another poor performance from him. He I, I'm really worried about him. I'm a bit worried about Ollie Pope as well, because they just I'm worried they're going to be two England cricketers who have so much promise and always have so much promise. And they're going to fall into that trap of which I think there's been so many England cricketers who fall into that trap of looking like they're going to be fantastic and yeah well and like I said with Burns Pope is the kind of opposite of that he's he had fantastic form in the county championship and hasn't brought it in I was he looked really poor against India and I thought okay it's fine he's in home conditions he just looked like a cat on a hot tin roof in that series and he hasn't really looked any different to that in this series so yeah so I went on a little bit there but worrying <laughs> yeah some great points um thank you so much for that i just want to add that um pope has gone eight tests without a half a century which i imagine is about 16 innings um and Crawley made 17 in the second innings which is his second highest score in 12 test innings i mean these are brutal figures these are two exciting talented young english batsmen who are just woefully out of form who can't buy runs at the minute who can't buy you know past 15 16 uh Tim, what do you think? I, mean, I imagine you're going to echo much of what Zach said, that the batting has to be the issue here. Yeah, I was looking at Pope, and he's, he's scored one century, and he's played around sort of 17, 18 tests. 
Uh, if you're looking for something that's, you know, yeah, he looks great. He does play some great shots. But if you're looking for that middle order to kind of steamroll the team, tiring bowlers, and, you know, that's you can't see that in international cricket is, is, is a good return. Lawrence hasn't played as many tests, so it's a little bit harder, but you can almost see him following that same path, which, again, which is a bit of a worry. Crawley just seemed to completely lost confidence. I mean, I know that he then, you know, he then scored, you know, scored a few runs, but he just seemed to have lost all confidence at the moment for, you know, for whatever reason. I think, you know, I think he is a, a very talented batsman, um, but it just leaves England with lots and lots of question marks. And you sort of, it's probably a good thing. It's good that Rory ben Burns kind of had, you know, had, had basically a decent enough series because otherwise it's just Joe Root is the only one, you, you know, this the team that was playing that you could remotely rely on. And the pressure's getting to him. So he's not scoring big runs. Um, he scored those three centuries um, sort of in the winter just gone in successive matches. And then since then, OK, I haven't played loads of test cricket, but in India, didn't really score many runs. So you've got batsmen that are kind of out of form, aren't sort of coming through, you know, because when you get into sort of 15, 16 tests, at that point, you'd hope people start delivering if they're going to remain in the team and score regularly. And, yeah, it just was a, was a very um, weak batter. And even with, although it was great that Burns and Sibley, um, you know, got that partnership in the first innings, but because they scored just 72 fairly slowly with a strike rate around the 40s it just meant that suddenly when they were out you went from 72 to 1 so suddenly when Root was out it was 85 for 3 and okay England did get up to 303 but already at that point you're thinking well 400 now looks really distant and you know on that pitch really um, that's probably what you should have been aiming at or at least close to it which is basically what New Zealand did you know they proved that that was pretty much on that pitch against because both teams, as we said, the bowling was pretty good. So both teams had decent bowling attacks. And the bottom line was New Zealand managed to get 388, England 303. And that meant that England were kind of already under pressure when they came to bat in that second innings. Although, having said that, I'm not sure. Well, I have um, been around long enough to so I have seen batting performances. actually been there and seen similar against New Zealand at the Oval in 1999. It was like an action replay of just clattering rickets. Um, but yeah, I think you know New Zealand showed they got par. England showed that actually 300 wasn't enough as a first inning score. And what you know, what we've all talked about is that these batsmen that show look really good, show great promise, have great shots, but they're not kind of delivering with runs. Yeah, I mean I agree. It's look looking at this top seven, I want to say it feels if you bring form into the discussion. Um, which I think is really important here. If you bring form into this kind of discourse, you've got Burns, Sibley, Crawley, Root, Pope, Lawrence, Bracey. I mean, that feels like the weakest top six, top seven I've seen in a in a test in a long time. It could go the the other way if Crawley. I'm going to say Root. Root is not he he top scored I think with 42 this series. Didn't get a half century. Going to bring Root into this pretty badly out of form. Uh, group of players. I mean, yeah, if Crawley, Root, Pope are at their best, I mean, this is a really exciting, young, uh, you know, fun team that you want to watch. However, I think the problem is, and we've seen this a couple of times on Twitter over the last couple of days, there doesn't feel like there's enough experience in this lineup to support the other players. So what you end up with 
is a collection of young young batters who don't have a huge amount of experience suddenly kind of relying on each other to get the runs without say your Jonathan Trot I mean we're going to get into the into who's going to bat three in a second because it's it feels like a really vital discussion right now but I mean without Root who really should be the glue that holds this this team together and he didn't really turn up I mean four in the first innings 11 in the second he wasn't at the office when he was batting I, I think he can escape some of the flack because a he is a world-class bat he is one of the best bats we've produced in, in recent years without a doubt and b he's quite a I'd say a decent quite a likable captain but I mean, there's all the focus on Crawley and Pope, um, but I think Root is a concern as well, especially for me. Um, Zach, what can we do to, I guess, balance this lineup between players who we want to back? I mean, I always hate it when you bring a young player into the side, give them a couple of games, they don't perform, and then you boot them out. You, you saw it with Don Best. That was the perfect example of a player who was really mistreated by the ECB. Um, how do we, A get this team more competitive because this was embarrassing and be still basically protect and support these younger batsmen who we really do need to, you know, give a chance to. I'm not saying get rid of Crawley, get rid of Pope, but we can't keep this lineup the way it is. It's not functioning. Oh, Glenn, I, I think I'd be earning <laughs> a lot more money if I could answer these questions. <laughs> you know? Oh, wow. But yeah, you know, it's not working. It's It's not great. But, and I, you know, what you said about just throwing them out in the court is what I really worry about Bracey. You know, Bracey, not that batting at seven is necessarily harder than at three. I can't say I've done either for England. You know, <laughs> I've not really done either at club level very much either. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I I worry about Bracey just being dropped and forgotten about forever just because he had these two, you know, pretty terrible test matches where he was, you know, wicket keeping his week he wasn't great either but yeah i think it's gone gone tim if you've, if you've got the answer i oh, know i've got an answer i've just got there's a player mark lathwell um somerset player very gifted young batsman from north devon who um played two tests was kind of plucked from nowhere in one of the summers um when england were just like reusing like you know 50 players in a summer it felt like um, but he came in, played two tests, scored hardly anything, and then you know never, never anywhere near international cricket again after that. Continued playing for Somerset and played really well for Somerset, had a really good career for Somerset. But that was it. Um, I'm not saying that's going to happen to Bracey, but you do wonder um, because he's shown himself to be a really good county player for the last couple of seasons. And you know, keeping wise, yeah, he was. He looked well out of his depth. However, he's been keeping fine for Gloucestershire in the county championships. So I don't think it was an unreasonable. I mean, he was the fourth choice. I mean, there was no Butler, Bairstow, or Folks. So he really was you know, down the pecking order. Um, but confidence-wise, gone. But you know, he's really in for his batting, really. Um, and I guess that was a bit of a worry because he just looked kind of all at sea across the two Test matches. And I think the point in general then makes you think that we want to, you know, we think how can we change it and improve it? Well, he was like the next one off the line. He was the one who'd been in the bubble all last summer. He'd been on tours all through the winter, playing for the Lions and basically, and, and played really solidly in the county. Based on his county championship form alone, you think, yeah, fair enough, you know, put him in the team. And, you know, it's not been, unfortunately for him, it's just, you know, had not had a good time of it at all which kind of then makes you think, well, how do they change it? Because that he would have been you know, one of the prime two or three candidates to come into that team based on K 
county championship form, based on potential, based on your know, age and the future he might have ahead of him. And he was clearly not equipped, not, not up to yet the standard of test cricket. Um, so I would say that is a sort of more general point, broadening it out, that they brought somebody in who looked to be a logical pick and it's had two tests and, you know, it's just been, let's just say, not gone awfully well. Yeah, and I completely agree, Tim. He would definitely have been the kind of next in line. He always kind of, he's felt like the like about a year, well, not quite a year, but most of a year now, he's been the kind of next in line for a top three place, though. So do you think his performance at seven, Glenn or Tim, do you think his performance at seven should hinder his, you know, his chances, the fact he is the next in line? Or, I mean, it also might come into it is, you know, who who else is going to, who else are we going to give a go to if we're going to get rid of Crawley, which I don't necessarily think we should do, but, you know, can't, can't go on too long with these poor performances. Yeah, I, I don't think, um, sadly for Grace, I don't think there was anything in his batting performance that really said, you know, I should have been batting higher up, sadly. Uh, um, the shots, shot selection, shots played, just, I, I, I mean, he, he, he's had a series of low scores, obviously. I don't see that him batting at three would have been better. <laughs> I don't really see how it would, could, could have been, really. No, I think that's a good point. And when he got he got a golden duck in the first innings, um, chipped one, I think to third slip or gully off bolt. And that is as visibly distraught as I think I've seen a player on a cricket field in a long, long time. Injuries aside... Any of that stuff, I think purely emotion after a personal mistake, I genuinely think like he was holding back tears, which was just so tough to see. Because as you've both rightly said, A, he hasn't just come from obscurity. He's been in this England team for such a long time. He's been biding his time for a chance. He he said, I think, in an interview a couple of days before the first uh, before the first test that he was eyeing up a, a top order spot. He was looking for number three. We've kind of touched on that. Um, nonetheless, I mean, I, I, you probably could argue that if you're a good enough batsman, you can probably bat wherever the captain or selector asks you to. There's possibly a case for that. And we'll get onto that in a moment with, with, with the number three, but yeah, just seeing, seeing that look of anguish on his face was really miserable. And, you know, as a player, we've talked about doing so well for his County and who clearly deserves his chance in England. Um, it's frustrating. And as you quite rightly said, he's probably fourth in line with injuries and COVID protocol, um, uh, notwithstanding. I mean, there's a stack of players. You mentioned them ahead of him. So without putting, I think he could probably tell us, but the point I'm trying to make is that there was probably a lot of pressure on him personally. And the fact that he didn't live up to his high expectations, we all know he's a class player, really was difficult for him. And, and that was horrible to watch, actually, as a fan. Um Let's kind of zoom in. I know I, I gave you quite a, a big question earlier, Zach, that may have just been too broad to really dig into. I guess let's just break it down. We've got a little bit of time just to still focus on the batting for a minute or two more. Number three, this is the, it feels like the, the quintessential England question the last couple of years. We've kind of worked on openers. At least Burns is secure at this moment in time after a good series. Number three, um, so Crook Viz's Ben Jones um, made a pretty compelling case today in Wisden um, for Ben Stokes being England's number three. Um, ben Gardner, also writing for Wisden, um, I think a day or two ago, um, offered 10 possible people. I won't go into them all, but it was a mixture of people who were already in the team. 
like your Pope, your Root, your Lawrence, and then people who aren't actually in the England setup, like directly in the 11 right now, includes Hamid, Milan, and Tom Abel. And one that I quite liked, Jake Libby, but I think, and this is the question I'll probably pose to you, maybe come to Tim first. I think Bracey's failure has kind of shown that there is such a gulf between the top of the county championship and the top of test level. I mean, the New Zealand bowlers, even their A-list a, a players were excellent. Who to you jumps out as the person that probably the selectors should be giving the nod to in the India series for that third place? Is it Stokes for you? Because that's where I'm leaning at the minute. Yeah, I think it, it, was, too, it was a lot of talk about Devin Milan coming back into the team. And I can see a certain logic, logic to that in that he seemed to bat really well in Australia. And is this was to be England's setup is to try and sort the team out for Australia and play on pitches which are as close to an Australian one as you're going to get in England, basically. So you're preparing pitches which are basically potentially good batting pitches. Um, so I can see an argument for that. With Ben Stokes, you almost think that um, to almost pack in the bowling because... He keeps saying about, oh, we couldn't balance the side because Ben Stokes not playing. But it's, Ben Stokes as an all-rounder is not really. If you look at it back over the last two or three years, there's been stacks of matches where he's not been physically fit enough to bowl. Well, if he has bowled, he's bowled a very limited number of overs. And when he does have a heavy bowling load, his batting suffers badly. Well, as it is at the moment, he is, along with Root, he is definitely one of the best two batsmen that England can call on. So you feel that by sort of making him slot into that all-rounder sort of hammering down into the all-rounder you're just basically taking away from one of his skills I mean he's probably not good enough to come into the England team just on his bowling but it's certainly good enough to be that third fourth seamer but it's his batting it's just the way it seems to be with all-rounders they start as perhaps a bowling all-rounder and they kind of turn themselves into a batting all-rounder whether they mean to or not um, which is what seems to have happened with him where his batting is kind of overtaken his bowling in the importance to the England team and when you put the absolute kind of pressure on him as an all-rounder it's really hard I think for him to deliver on every single front bear in mind he's also a fantastic fielder and there's very few players internationally that can pull this off somebody like Jack Callis for South Africa did that where he could bowl his little medium pace but bowl it successfully or a good number of overs to Africa consistently score from three down to six wherever he played even opening sometimes um there's not many international rounders who can really pull it off with both their disciplines consistently all of the time and i think this whole well, when we get ben stokes back um as an all-rounder we're going to balance the team just put some fair pressure on him really and ends up kind of negating the quality of one of his skills and at the moment his batting is needed more than his bowling and for me, if we had Ben Stokes in this 11, we would still have Ollie Stone batting at eight, which is, which is you know, he, he didn't bat badly, but he's not a number eight. For me, the thing to balance the side out more is, is a, it's a Wokes or a Curran. It's someone who is a bowler, but has, you know, we've spoken about Wokes before and you spoke about Wokes on the last podcast. He, he's got test match hundreds, you know, and Sam Curran, granted, doesn't and, you know, has maybe been, again, he's another player who's got a lot of promise, a lot of potential, but he, he can bat. He can properly bat. And I know Stuart Broad could properly bat at one point, but, you know, someone like that at eight really just kind of makes the difference when you've got 
you know, if Broad's Broad's a you know a decent tail ender, Jack Leach can be a de- can be a decent tail ender, but and and Wood can score some runs, but you're not expecting Wood. He he did do a fantastic job in this Test match. He's not consistently going to hold up an end with a batsman, which is what you need from your number your number nine, your number eight, you know, as well. When it gets to number 10 and 11, if they can have a swipe and get a quick 30, absolutely fine. But you need batsmen who can kind of just stick it out with with a batsman, you know? No, I agree. And that touches on what I was going to say, which was that this England team in both the first and second tests was sorely missing a genuine all-rounder. It was, it was an unbalanced team. And we had a stack of them turning up for their counties playing t20 cricket when this test was going on it 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 was slightly farcical i think and you know we saw the curran brothers um i know it'd probably be sam at test level just during the t20 game it's like you know you, as you mentioned earlier you should be playing for england in this test it's like we need and you know moeen doing exceptionally well um for worcester because he cares about his county he probably should be in this england setup um want to wrap this up i guess but um so stokes comes in Zach, do you think that in the India series, one of Crawley or Pope will probably have to be left out? Or are you sticking at the minute? We'll do a preview pod, but are you sticking with both of them right now? What's your kind of gut instinct? Then we'll briefly talk about the bowling and get on to New Zealand. For me, so obviously Stokes comes in. Stokes and Wokes both come in. So that means someone out of the batting's got to go. And Lawrence... Again, you know, hasn't mm. hasn't been great, but that innings in, you know, having to bat with the tail, having to, you know, wickets falling around him, that innings kind of, for me right now, put him just above Pope. I think Crawley deserves to go. I think they all deserve more chances. I'm not saying, you know, they should all go. We need to, you know, a whole new fresh crop of young players in, but... For me, it's between it's between Pope and Lawrence. I think Crawley deserves at least a couple more Test matches, although he has been so bad. <laughs> you know, it's a shame there's not because there's not lots of county championship cricket between now and those Test matches. It might be good for them to go and have a bit of a hit in the blast. Crawley's had some really good performances in the blast last year, so that that might help them. You know, maybe even the hundred will help them, but <laughs> you never know. But yeah, I, th- I think I'm going Lawrence, Lawrence above Pope, so Pope drops out, and then one a, a pace bowler would to drop out for Wokes. Yeah, I mean for me that makes the most sense. As we've said, you can't really keep this um, this team the way it is, or you're going to get absolutely steamrolled um, by India. Tim, what do you think of the bowling? I want to get on to New Zealand before we wrap up because they had such an excellent performance, and it feels wrong just to focus on on England. Um, Bowling for you, it was, you know, it was a pretty experienced bowling setup. Uh, we had Stuart Broad, uh, for me, at, at his peak. He looked absolutely excellent. He had the fire in his belly. He was he was great. Um, slightly quieter for Anderson, I think, who toiled a little bit. Only one wicket, but I'm not surprised. He was bowling. He bowled 29 overs in that first inning. So it was a big workload for one of the older members of the team. I guess maybe over the series, over the two games, and it was Ollie Robinson who who was the leading wicket taker, which kind of uh, says it all. Just, you know, the disaster that was this two games that 
someone who should have been celebrating his success um, had so many off the field issues as discussed in the in, in the in the last episode. Uh, Tim, what, what, what do you think about the bowling? Uh, should there have been Leach playing? A lot of people were saying that. For me, it would have been a good option. Root didn't look threatening for me at all when I watched him. He was just turning over an end. He wasn't really an attacking spinner because that's not really what he does. Um, yeah, any for you looking ahead to India? Yeah, who who, who kind of the, I guess of the pace attack? Who really stood out for you? Although we're talking about the bowling, it brings back to the batting because we've ended up whenever England go into a um, match, test match, where they try to sort of lose a bowler to improve the batting, it never goes well. So we ended up with a really scrambled kind of um, bowling attack, really, because Mark Wood is a fantastic cricketer and a great kind of personality. But really, it just proves again and again that really playing in a back-to-back test doesn't really work. He just doesn't quite manage to, you know, he, he, he works best in short bursts. And when it's a back-to-back test, the next one, it just doesn't, he never seemed to get as good a performance in that second test, basically, out of him. Uh, ball bowled really well, which he often does in home conditions, especially at the start of the season. Anderson, I thought Anderson bowled well, actually. I just don't think he really got the reward for his you know, efforts, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, Stone Stone was probably of the four. He was the one that probably New Zealand felt they could attack the most and that they... Yeah. He had bits where he came on, Stone came on, and then New Zealand started to actually score quite quickly um, against him. I don't think he bowled particularly badly, but he, he, what he showed was the goal for consistency to Borden Anderson. So Anderson was saying didn't have a great match but you know it was still really hard to score against um and as i said wood i felt would probably you know should have come out of the team and they ended up i think the bowling attack just ended up with this all right arm over okay in theory you got you know you've got your two faster and your two that are more like swing seam and not not so much about the speed but it ended up with a very sort of samey bowling attack there was no difference there was no kind of point of difference to it and again another one Whenever England decide that it's, they don't need to play a spinner it, in England, it nearly always goes really badly. Like, you never, we never know if Jack Leach um, coming in would have made a difference. You kind of look at the match from now and you say, well, no, because look at, this, look at the batting. But you just wonder if maybe they, he could have made New Zealand score more slowly. If maybe he tied them down enough so that when they're playing against Stone, they took a bit of a risk because they felt they weren't scoring. Um, and, you know, it's just it just gave, I think it gave Root very, very limited tactical options of what to do. Um, so what I would say is, I don't think, I think individually as bowlers, I think they all did a pretty good job, to be perfectly honest. Um, I think, as I said, Stone wasn't quite as consistent, but he still got some really great deliveries, got some wickets. Where it fell apart was that as a bowling unit, they gave the team no kind of, versatility, no other options. And if you looked over to the New Zealand attack, you know, you've got Bolt, left arm, really, you know, obviously a tremendously accurate bowler. Wagner, able to do those bounces that it just seemed to, it's amazing. All the batsmen know it's coming, and yeah, and yeah, it works time after time. Henry can barely get a game for New Zealand, but came in and bowled beautifully in more of a kind of a broad Anderson type way. Mm-hmm. Spinner, Coming in, I thought he bowled really well. He wasn't perfect, he was loose delivery, but he has not played a lot of test match cricket. He's only played sort of a, a handful. 
Um, so all in all, I thought that individually the bowlers bowled well, but collectively it was an attack that just didn't really do the job for England. Yeah, I, I've got to agree. It didn't feel like there was enough diversity um, within the attack, as you said, individually. I mean, they were all decent. As you said, Stone was, he touched on four, he was 3.8 and over. So a pretty rough economy for him. But then Wood was 3.4, so just behind. And you really saw the difference in economies between Anderson and Broad, who were around the two mark, and then Wood and Stone, who were over three, almost over three and a half. So you could see that kind of golf in at least economy there. But I completely agree. Wasn't the boulders fault. They weren't they weren't given much to work with considering the batting. Um, you touched on New Zealand, and as we kind of approach the end of the episode, it's a really nice way to segue into them. I mean, I was blown away when I saw the team sheet. Um, I'm pretty familiar with the New Zealand team, so there weren't any surprises. I think we called quite a few of the changes. We called Patel coming in. I think we got Tim. You got Southie being rested uh, spot on, which not everyone did on Twitter. I think before the teams were announced, but then they had the injuries to B.J. Watling, the keeper, who did his back in, and Williamson, who unfortunately wasn't uh, wasn't fit to play, and he continues his actual pretty atrocious record in England. Um, interestingly, without the option of, of working on that in this test, uh, Zach. I mean, we won't get into it too much. You're going to be talking about this in a couple of days with Dan um, regarding the World Test Championships 11, because I am glad. I'm glad, A, I'm not an England selector, but I'm glad, B, even more so that I'm not a New Zealand selector, because they have, I would argue, 14 players who, even 15, who very, very much deserve to be playing India in, in, in a couple of days' time. Uh, sticking with this test, so we don't overlap too much with the next pod, who for you jumped out? I mean... Everyone was excellent for me. The batting was top quality. The bowling was just sensational. Henry, Tim, as you said, he tore through England's top order, getting burned Sibley cruelly in that second innings. Um, and I was also impressed with Patel, the spinner. I thought he showed um, a lot of control, and I thought he actually had um, a really nice action as well. Yeah, what were your takeaways, I guess, Zach, from New Zealand? Because I honestly, I was blown away. I thought they were outstanding. Yeah, yeah, I mean, completely agree. I thought they were brilliant. And, you know, you mentioned Matt Henry, and after the win to New Zealand had, where they were really good, you know, you, you guys did a couple of podcasts on them, and they were, you know, they were solid, and Jameson came out of nowhere and was, you know, an amazing Test match player. And it looked like Southie, Bolt, Jameson, maybe Wagner as well. Like, that's their four. It kind of, like, that's their four. And, you, you know, to see Matt Henry, I kind of, after this winter, I forgot like how good a test bowler he was. Like he was, yep. you know, decent for, for New Zealand in the World Cup. I kind of, yeah, and yeah, it was brilliant. And you know, not going to go on to the the Test Championship final, but he he would never have been anywhere near my eleven before for New Zealand before this game. And yeah, and, and on top of that, uh, Young was fantastic, and he, you know, very unlikely to play. wasn't expected to play a test match in in this series. You know, with Williamson, you know, he was lucky, obviously Williamson unlucky with the injury. Uh, I think Conway as well, you know, what a start to his test career. And you mentioned it last week's pod after he got that double hundred and he was, you know, well set again for another hundred. I think he'd be really disappointed to have not got a hundred. He got out kind of in a, you know, lofted flick to the leg side, which is how he brought up his his hundred in the first. Yeah, but how he brought up his hundred in the in the first test and then you know, got out caught in the deep. I know he'll be disappointed with that, but you know, very excited to see him in a Somerset shirt in a couple of weeks' time. That'll be nice. You know, hopefully someone can hit enough runs that we can defend in the <laughs> T20. And yeah, 
Patel as well. Tim, you called it in the last pod. Patel coming in and being a better spot, being a better spinner than than Santner, and he was. And when he was getting turned on the first day pitch, everyone was. I think everyone in England was pulling their hair out the fact that we didn't pick a spinner. But yeah, it just shows that rest and rotation can work for some teams. <laughs> I, I I agree and I think what's really impressive is for me New Zealand you know 388 all out in that first innings there wasn't a centurion there but what they had was three of their top four got 80 runs plus got 80 80 or 82 I mean that's exceptional that's exactly what you need from your batsmen who were there you know to deliver the runs and the bowling I mean it's just it's just amazing I mean I really do not know how to pick and I'm quite delighted because you mentioned the pod we did um, quite a while ago, actually, a couple of months ago, talking about New Zealand. Um, And I said at the time, I hope it's on record, that I cannot wait for this bowling attack to come to England and to enjoy our conditions. And wow, have they done that? I mean, it's just exceptional. Um, Tim, anything you want to add about New Zealand, Um, especially, you know, in the context of of this match? Um, Anyone for you who who really is just banging on the door for this for this upcoming test, who who has to be in the team. For me, obviously, it's Conway. I mean, what's interesting is there's almost question marks about Bolt because of his fitness, but I think he showed everyone in this test match that he is here and he wants to win a World Test Championship and he's going to be playing. So, yeah, Tim, it's, it's tough for the selectors, I think. Yeah, I think, I mean, what I would say is that um, if you look at the New Zealand team, and those who came in, uh, I mean, Tom Leyden as captain did a fantastic job tactically, got it absolutely correct, kept the pressure on, was, you know, really, I thought he had a great match as captain, actually. Um, Will Young has come in, stepped in for Williamson and done what Williamson does. Um, Blundell is keeper, we haven't really mentioned him. I mean, he scored a 30 um, at a time when... You know, he just needs to keep on ticking over with the players around. As a keeper, I, I don't think he made a mistake, at least not when I was watching anyway, and certainly nothing that was picked up on highlights. So just dropped straight in, absolutely no problem at all. Um, Tal, we've mentioned, I guess Darrell Mitchell probably didn't do so much. Um, I think from what I gather, he's more of a batting all-rounder. So I guess he'd be a little disappointed you know, to get six, didn't need to bat in the second innings. Bowled a little bit. Um, and it was economical, 11 overs, 23. So I think bowling-wise did his job of sort of late overs before the new ball and just kind of giving the, the faster bowlers a rest. So he did, you know, he, he played his part. Um, and I just think, yeah, you know, what a great position to be in where you can basically sub in five, six players in, and... Yeah, it just, you know, it just works. It just works. And the New Zealand players were saying after the match, they're just saying with the fact that as a group, they've been together for a number of years. And Matt Henry was asked after the match about the World Test Championship. He's like, well, you know, we'll see what it brings. You know, I'm just on the, saving it beating England. And that was, I suppose, another side thing to this is it was a really big deal for New Zealand to beat England. It was only the third time they've come to England and won. Um, and it's the first time for in over 20 years they've managed to do that. So I think really, you know, to a player, they just have done a fantastic job. And they showed why, you know, the number one ranked test team, they showed why they're in the World Test Championship final. And yeah, no spoilers, but I think the match against 
Saskatoon this year will just be a fantastic match. I really hope it is. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And to be honest, probably the only two that probably won't be in the fold are probably Mitchell and Santner, I feel, are the two that haven't really stamped their authority on this test team. They're still excellent players. Santner, especially in the one-day game, he's, he is a good player. I think we give him a lot of stick because he, I just don't think he's quite a test-level bowler. Um, but yeah, I think that will about wrap it up. I mean... It's a shame. I mean, I think just before we before we close, let's um, let's have a moment to uh, appreciate how frustrated the Edgebaston Day Four crowd must have been. At least they got a full refund because I don't think it went over 15 overs. That might have been the thing. But my goodness, I mean, especially in the context of this, you know, maybe a delayed reopening. It's looking like in England to, you know, have a ticket to what could be the highlight of many people's summers um, and for England to really just embarrass themselves. I mean, it, it is worth reiterating that, as you said, Tim, I, I think we might have been there. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you and I, when I was much younger, may have been here for the last time that New Zealand did win um, a series over in England. And for England to go out with such a whimper was just disappointing. And as we've touched on in this pod, plenty of questions. We'll be doing a preview for the India test in a couple of weeks, but plenty of questions to ponder um, for England. But a massive congratulations to New Zealand. Outstanding cricket from them, especially with rotation. Uh, blown away. And um, yeah, I think we'll wrap it up there. Uh, Zach, thank you so much for joining us. Hopefully we've missed about 50 minutes of the Spain game. I hope there's no goals. I haven't checked in case there was. <laughs> oh, nope, he's had it on in the background and it looks like nil-nil. <laughs> <laughs> I have indeed had it on in the background. Don't worry, Glenn. <laughs> it is nil-nil. I haven't missed too much. I have I have no idea what's happened so far. Don't think very much has happened. But yeah, thank you. Uh, it's been really fun. Yeah, it's been a great pod. Thank you for being here. And Tim, thank you so much for joining us once again. Thank you. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And back the Oval in 99. Um, the only silver lining you could say that that England batting collapse at the Oval in 99 did have Atherton, Hick, Rampakash, Thorpe and Stewart. What I would say is that you'd expected of more of that batting lineup than to collapse in a heap on a Sunday morning. Perhaps we didn't really expect so much more of this batting lineup at the moment. I think that's a good point. And that's about half of Sky's commentary team um, or the England <laughs> coaching setup in there. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, pleasure to talk to you both and yeah um listeners who have hopefully enjoyed this episode there's two this week there will be as we've discussed a couple of times the world test championship preview um which zach will be recording with dan and hopefully will um uh, and that should be out uh by thursday so comfortably just about in time for that match and i've got to say i'm so excited for it i think the entire uh rain stop play team is really looking forward to that so thank you once again for listening um and yeah we'll see you very shortly For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.